As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. The Importance of Mary. A talk by Paul Ellard at the 2018 Immaculata Mission School in Hobart, Tasmania. All right. How are we? Good? Was the last night amazing? It was amazing. Amazing. Who knows the motto that Mother picked for the Immaculata? Someone want to shout it out? Loving Jesus? Ah, why did she put that? The heart of Mary, loving Jesus. Because we can love Jesus more through the heart of Mary. And my hope and my prayer is today that you will all fall in love with Mary if you're not already in love with her. Because she will take you deeper into the heart of Jesus that is not possible by any other way. So there are three great gifts that Jesus left the church. Gift of the Eucharist, which is the very gift of himself. And the gift of Mary, the gift of his very own mother. And the gift of the papacy, which is the gift of guidance and authority. These are like three litmus tests that we can use to always determine whether uh, the authentic church is there or not there. If you ever see any one of these three under attack, you start to become very guarded. There's a little beautiful line in Scripture I love. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I really have a problem with Mary, and, and uh, just soften your heart for a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit today just to maybe take you in areas that you haven't looked at before, and um, something beautiful will happen. If Mary is not a part of your spirituality, then can I politely suggest to you that something is missing, something seriously missing, and the Lord wants to fill that today. Back of my church is a Salesian church, and they have this as a glass-stained mural. Not that picture, but they have a copy of that idea. of. And what it is, is John Bosco, who's the founder of the Salesians, he, um, he was a great mystic and he used to have these visions or dreams, if you like. And one of the dreams he had was in 1862. And he saw a time in the church would be a lot of crisis. And so this dream was signified by a, a sea. And on the sea were lots of boats. And a storm broke out. And it started to rock all the boats. And some of the smaller boats, the big boat was representing of the Catholic Church. And some of the smaller boats were firing cannons, and you see them with all their books and stuff here, trying to discredit um, the church. Anyway, uh, the storm broke out, and it's, the sea became really rough and turbulent. <clears throat> and as the, um, the seas got worse and worse, a lot of these boats went under. And some were rescued by the big boat. But eventually the sea got so rough that even the big boat was in threat of going under. And so a man in white, representing the Holy Father, walked to the front of the boat and looked in the distance and saw two pillars. One of them had the Jesus on the Eucharist on it and one had the pillar of Mary on And he anchored that this boat, representing the church, be anchored between these two pillars. 
And then the storm got so bad that everything went under except this boat. And so that really, I think, speaks to us today. Some people thought maybe John Paul was this Pope. He, he could have been, but there's still a lot of other boats out there and there's still the big boats still getting a lot of persecution, as we know this year. So, but this is like a prophecy. The anchor for the church to maintain loyalty to God is to anchor itself between the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and Mary with the Holy Father in the centre. Pope Francis has great devotion to Mary. And, of course, John Paul had great devotion to Mary. His motto was totus tuus, which Latin translates to totally yours. He dedicated that to Mary. We, um, we live in an era. Now, this year, we've, or last year now, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the apparitions of Fatima. If you're not familiar with those apparitions, I would really encourage you to go and buy a book on Fatima and read it. Um, and a lady there said, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. In the end doesn't mean the end of the world. She means in the end of this huge battle that's going on between Satan and, and the church. And the, the church looks like at the moment it's losing. But the church is going to win. Do not get on the loser's circle. Everybody now thinks that we're all losing and we're going down. But I'm telling you, this prophecy will be fulfilled and the church will be victorious. Pope Francis has a great devotion to Mary untire of knots because she untied the knots in his life. If you read about his life story, when he was head of the Jesuits, he made such a mess of things, they actually fired him. They told him, leave. So he went to Germany and he discovered this devotion of Mary, untire of knots. And she untied the knots in his life to the point that he's now the Pope. So he has great devotion to Mary. Whenever he goes on mission, he always goes down to Our Lady's Basilica and he leaves flowers there. And he, so he has this wonderful devotion to Our Lady, which is a, a true sign of an authentic Pope, particularly in this era in which we're in. I wanted to very quickly just share with you this. This is a Marian apparition that has just recently been approved in the church. It's in Argentina, which is interesting where the Pope came from, um, Buenos Aires. And um, this uh, has been approved um, by the, um, the local bishop, and they've built a big basilica here to honour these things. But I just wanted to quote with you one text that Jesus said. I don't know if we can read it up the back, but I'll read it for you. Jesus said this, Previously the world was saved with Noah's ark. Today the ark is my mother. By means of her the souls will be saved because it will bring them towards me. Whoever rejects my mother rejects me. So that's pretty powerful. Anyway, that's why way of introduction. Let's have a look at it now. We want to say, first of all, understand that ultimately, oh, that's, I put that picture in. That's a lovely picture that I saw recently. Isn't that beautiful? Mary pregnant with the baby Jesus and the glow. I just really thought that was beautiful. Yeah, St. Louis de Montfort said that Mary is the surest 
easiest and shortest and most perfect means to becoming like her son, Jesus. This is why we want to have devotion to Mary, because she can take us to the heart of Jesus that no one else can. Why? Well, because she is the model of the church. She's the model of the Christian. But the bottom line is Jesus set it up that way. You know, This is the way he wants it. And as you'll see as we unfold all of this, becomes clearer and clearer. All right. Ultimately, the spiritual gifts that God gives us through Mary cannot just be a head thing, right? We can intellectualize Mary and all that, but we're talking about the love of a mother. And we don't intellectualize the mothers. We love them. So we've got to make sure that at some point we move from here to here. Yes, we need to understand it so we can... Uh, we can allow our feelings to, to be comfortable about it, but at that point we have to move to here. And we do that by praying, by praying. Mary lives to honour and glorify the Trinity and to bring all humanity to glorify the Trinity. We don't worship Mary. Right? Mary leads us to Jesus. And some people think that devotion to Mary is a distraction from Jesus. But we want to show you that this is really human way of thinking. This is not the way that God thinks. And I put it to you, if you have a problem with Mary, you really have a problem with Jesus. Because we haven't understood what Jesus' message is, what the whole point of the incarnation is, the whole bit about family, who God is, all that thing, it all ties together. You hear people say, oh, I don't pray to Mary. I go straight to Jesus. <laughs> as like as though it's some kind of a shortcut. The truth is, the shortcut to Jesus is through Mary. That's the shortcut. I want to share with you now ten statements about Mary. Right? These are, I didn't make these up. These are church teachings. And I've deliberately tried to... Make you go, oh, do we believe that? To uh, kind of challenge you in a way. But uh, these are what the church teaches, not in any order. Next to Jesus, who is both human and divine, the greatest human person in creation is a woman. Sorry, gentlemen, but this is the hard truth. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't see the feminists grabbing hold of that, but that's that's a reality. Number two. Mary exists to help bring about God's plan of salvation for all humanity. That's her purpose. Mary is without sin whatsoever, neither venial nor mortal. Once we acknowledge God as creator and Mary as creature, and there's an infinite gap between that, we cannot honor Mary too much. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to be too healthy. It's just a stupid statement. It doesn't mean anything, right? Number five, true devotion to Mary can only lead us to Jesus. It can't take you anywhere else. It's just not possible. Um, number six, Mary has this unique relationship with the Trinity like no one else. She's daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and spouse of the Holy Spirit. Where do we get spouse of the Holy Spirit from? Well, Francis of Assisi was one of the first persons to use that term. 
But spouse of the Holy Spirit really comes from Scripture when it says, Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with the baby Jesus. The Holy Spirit made Mary pregnant. Think about that. That should just blow a few of our brain cells. Number seven, even at Mary's conception, she had a much higher degree of grace than any angel or saint that ever existed. That is just like holiness, holiness. <laughs> it's like, wow. And that's why she's queen of the angels. She's queen of the saints. Number eight, Mary already has a glorified, resurrected body. And in fact, she now lives in heaven with both body and soul. So two people in heaven at the moment with bodies and souls, Jesus and Mary. And after the bodily resurrection, we too will be resurrected with our bodies. And by the way, whatever sexuality you are now, that's what you'll be for all eternity. So if we are male or female, we will be resurrected as male and female for all eternity. This is why we can't tamper with gender stuff. It's, we might be broken. We're all broken in some way. We might be broken, but we will be healed at that point and we will have perfected bodies. Anyway, we're going to divert the theology of the body. We'll let the James handle that. And the, Number nine, Jesus wants us to pray to him through Mary. He's not just saying, oh, well, if you want to have this devotion to my mother, that's okay. No, he's saying this is the way it's going to come about. The kingdom of God is going to come about this way. Now, this is not so much a church teaching. It's more of an observation. But we're living in a special age of Mary. Why do we say that? Marian devotion has, has really sort of been revived. And we've had all these Marian apparitions the last 150 years. We've had so many Marian apparitions. Um, some of them authentic, some of them not authentic. You can bet your life that if the enemy wants to come in and confuse, he too can appear as a beautiful woman and confuse people. So we have to be very prudent about um, Marian apparitions um, and, and I'm not one to put down private revelation because, I don't know, lately we've had a sort of a trend in the church that if it's private revelation, it must be bad. Well, well we've got to be very careful because devotion to the sacred heart's private revelation. The rosary's private revelation. Um, divine mercy's private revelation. I mean, private revelation is very important because it speaks to us in our day. We can't be too puffed up with pride and say, I know it all. But at the same time, we have to have great prudence so that we don't get sucked into things that are actually lies, not the truth. Okay, so. I think we should say this right from the start. It's important to know that every gift that Mary has or has been given is derived from her unique relationship with Jesus. Every gift Mary has is subordinate to and dependent upon Jesus. Mary is mother and servant of the heart of Jesus. She's so united to him as servant, she knows his heart so deeply, even before he asks it, she knows what he wants. And this is, you see this in Married couples, you know, my wife and I, she's only got to give me a look outside the room. I know what she's thinking and she's telling me something. <laughs> this is the way it is with, between lovers. 
The fourth commandment. What's the fourth commandment? This is a worry. What's the fourth commandment? Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. I was getting a bit worried there. Okay. Right. No one, no one lives the fourth commandment better than Jesus. He honors his father and his mother. What are we called to do? We're called to imitate Jesus. Good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. The book of Ecclesiastics says, He who honors his mother is like someone amassing a fortune. So if that applies to our earthly mother, imagine what that means to our heavenly mother. St. Maximilian Colby says, Never worry that you can love Mary too much. You'll never love her more than Jesus does. So, uh, Father Joseph Kentonick. Some people know the Schoenstatt movement. You heard that? Wonderful movement. Uh, Father Joseph Kentonick, he had great devotion to Mary. And he says, in the natural order, a child loves its mother first, then its father. It's the role of the mother to teach the child to love the father. If that's what we see in the natural order, then in the supernatural order, we see the same thing. You see how God stamped all of this stuff right into creation. Devotion to Mary goes back a long way. I don't know if you can see that up the back, but that is a prayer that I used to say when I went to Amara school as a kid. And this prayer goes back to the year 250 AD. The scriptures were written, or the scriptures were canonized in, in the 4th, 5th century. This was a prayer that they found in 250 AD. And the English of it goes like this. Beneath thy compassion we take refuge, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions in times of trouble, but rescue us from dangers. Only pure one, only blessed one. Now already there we see a few things. Mary's intercession, honouring as the title Mother of God, we'll explain that a bit more later, and being called the pure and blessed one. 250 AD. Amazing. Okay, let's look at this now. Why do some people feel reluctant to have a strong devotion to Mary. I had a very good mate who was a <clears throat> Protestant guy and he was a very holy man. But he had big trouble with Mary. Big trouble with Mary. And it wasn't because he was anti-Catholic or anything like that. And I'm sure you're not here being anti-Catholic. You just want to know and you're just finding it hard to understand. Well, this is what we want to try and do. So this comes from uh, <clears throat> Scott Hart and Mark Mary Valley. Mark Mary Valley is... Um, great Marian theologian at uh, Steubenville. And this is the way they answered it. They feel that somehow devotion to Mary detracts from the glory of God. This is the bottom line if you ask them. Why do you have a problem with Mary? Because they feel somehow devotion to Mary detracts from the glory of God. Now, if you only ever heard that, you'd say that sounds a pretty good argument. Right? Unfortunately, that's not the way the Lord thinks. Let's take it a little further. We ask this question. Did God create the world to get more glory? Anyone want to comment? No. God didn't create the world to get more glory. God is complete within himself. God created the world to give glory. What's the principal characteristic of Christianity? 
charity, giving. Where do we get that from? We're just imitating the Creator. When He creates, He gives. When God gives, he, he empowers through his gifts. So, for instance, a father wants their son to do really well at university, better than what they did. You have the opportunities that they never had. This is a very natural thing from a, a good, loving father will want this. Well, God the Father is the perfect father. And when he gives, he empowers others through his gifts. In his mother. Jesus has empowered her the most by giving her every gift he can possibly give her. Who do you love more than your mum? You know? And think of how Jesus felt about his mum. Did you realise this? Jesus is the only one who could choose and create his mother. Huh? If you could choose and create your mother, would you make a sinless? Well, of course you would, but it's just nonsense because that's just not possible. It is possible with Jesus. Very possible. God's masterpiece in all of his creation is Mary. If we say Mary's doing great things, it isn't because Jesus can't get them done on his own. Right? We need to stop thinking in our limited human ways and discover the way God thinks. Human ways hold back through pride, jealousy, fear. God says, I want to give all to my mother. Why do you doubt? This is um, a painting from the Louvre Museum. You're not supposed to take photos in the Louvre Museum, they tell me. But anyway, I took that one, right? I rather liked it. <clears throat> but can you imagine? Can you pick on? I'm going to pick on John here. Can you imagine if John painted that picture, right? And I walked up to that picture and I said, wow, look at that painting. Look at the perspective and then the detail in all these little windows and, and the colour. That's an incredible painting. What's John going to say? He's going to say, oh, thank you very much, Paul. But imagine if I said, no, 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 I'm not complimenting you. I'm complimenting the painting. Well, I mean, it's just ridiculous because he's the man who created the painting. The more I compliment that painting the more I'm complimenting John, who created it. Now, the more we extol the greatness of Mary, the more we extol the artist who made her. The more we marvel at her sinlessness, the more we marvel at our holiness, how she suffered, how her yes, all these things, we're, we're praising God. If our image of God is master-slave, We'll never understand Mary. Master-slave is kind of like the worst of legalism, I guess. And a lot of the Protestant religions feel this way. Calvin said, we're just snow-covered dung. That's not Catholic theology. Catholic says we are sinners and we are fallen. We can be badly fallen. But through Christ and through the power of the, of the sacrament, especially Eucharist and Confession, we can, in fact, be better people. We can be more than just snow-covered dung. We can actually be not dung at all. Right? If we see ourselves as master-slave, Mary will always be a threat. If we see ourselves as father and son relationship, then it's a different story altogether. 
Why does Christianity deliver, differ from all other religions? What makes Christianity different from every other religion? Yes. We call God Father. Yes, yes. But the big difference with Christianity is that God became man. You've got to understand, to a Islam, this is outrageous. This is blasphemy. God doesn't become man. And even in the Buddhist and Hindu religions, Hindus might have God take a body for a second and drop it, but they don't have this whole concept of coming in and being born as a baby and becoming man. So in other words, the incarnation is absolutely fundamental to what Christianity is. How does this come about? Through Mary's yes. Without Mary's yes, we wouldn't have the incarnation. You see how fundamental Mary is? If you don't understand who Jesus is, that God became man, you can't, you can't get the importance of who Mary is. He could have just, you know, if I was writing the script, Jesus said to me, Paul, how should I come, come to earth? Oh, well, you know what you're going to do on the mountain with the apostles? big cloud comes down from the mountain and the voice says, this is my son, and you step out and you go, hi, I'm here, and you start your three years ministry and all of that. I mean, that sounds feasible, doesn't it? I could write a you think that was believable. But no, you're going to come as a little baby and be threatened and have to be born in a stable and, and all this suffering and that. You think, this is the God of the universe coming this way? Yes, because there's a point to it all. And Mary is part of that pointing and that family and leading us. So we need to look at this uh, and not just, we take it for granted to just, oh yeah, Jesus became, uh, God became man, but it's huge. Great saints like St. Maximilian Colby and um, Louis de Montfort said, Jesus came to us through Mary and we returned the same way. I remember once I did a, a retreat for a whole week on Mary. I had all these theological things, why, 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 why. At the end of it, I got up and gave his testimony. He said, that did it for me. <laughs> Jesus came to us through Mary. Where he returned, that was to him. He just, he just that was it. He, he was convinced. You know, many of us, I'm sure a lot of you heard that people say, oh, look, I have a problem with God the Father because I haven't had a good father model in my life. It's very common, and it, people say that. But the same thing applies to Mary. If you haven't had a good mother role in your life, you will find it difficult to connect with Mary. But you know what the good news is? First of all, none of us have perfect parents, right? All our parents are lacking in something. But the good news is Mary can be the mother to you just like God the Father can be the earthly father to you that you never had by entering into a relationship. And if you've never had that relationship with Mary uh, because of a, a, a mother's a situation, she can be this. And my wife has this amazing story, which if I get time at the end, I'll tell you. But it, it proves this, how she went from having no devotion to Mary in a light switch to suddenly finding Mary as her heavenly mother. And she got that 10 years ago this year, 10 years ago it'll be, and she hasn't lost it from that day to this. So it's good news. Mary can be everything that our earthly mother cannot be. Pope Francis says, To grow in faith without Mary is like growing up in an orphanage. 
the Christian has no right to be without a mother. He's talking about a heavenly mother. So this is very real for Pope Francis too. So she's not an option. She is necessary and she's required because that's the way Jesus wants to get things done. God could have saved the world a different way, but no, he chose our salvation through Mary. It's a biblical fact and a historical truth. If you take Mary out of the picture, you start to lose who the real Jesus is. The two are bound up together. The history of our salvation is not founded on the failure of Adam and Eve, but on the success of Jesus and Mary. Scripture talks about Jesus as being the new Adam, and the church fathers talked about Mary as being the new Eve. The incarnation is not some plan B. Even if Adam and Eve had never sinned, the incarnation was always meant to be there. Okay? Mary's flesh and blood would form the flesh and blood of the Messiah. Wow. One way to think of Mary is that if we are the body of Christ and Christ is the head, then Mary is the neck. All graces flow from the head to the body via the neck. It's a little caption which I rather like, but it's, it's quite profound actually. No Mary, no Jesus. If Mary had said to the angel Gabriel, no, nah, sorry, check the girl next door, I'm not interested, we would have been in big trouble, right? However, no Mary, no Jesus. Right. That makes a great T-shirt, actually. <clears throat> but um, it's not just a, a play on words. It's actually a profound truth. In the very early church, 431, Council of Ephesus, they're trying to work out who Jesus is. Right? And the early heresy, that's the first kind of heresy that came out, that Jesus is not truly man. Jesus is divine. He just came and had this body, but he's not truly man. He's, he's truly divine. Right? And the church councils all got together and the theologians all got together and we go into all the things. But the bottom line is this. This is how they, how they answered the question. They said, who was it that Mary gave birth to? He said, well, Mary gave birth to a human being. Jesus is human. And that human being is divine. Jesus is God. So they declared the dogma, of first dogma of Mary, that Mary is the mother of God. Right? And so by declaring that doctrine, it made very clear who Jesus is. Why is it important? Because if Jesus is not fully man and Jesus is not fully divine, then we are not saved. If he's fully man, the person who died on the cross is just like you and I. If he's fully divine, the person who died on the cross didn't connect with us. He didn't pay for our sins. The person who died on the cross must be fully man, must be fully divine. This is Jesus and Mary's role was to make sure that that actually happened. So... It really does. When you know who Mary is, you know who Jesus is. All right. We want to now look at Mary in Scripture. And a lot of these you've seen before, but uh, we want to try and open them up, see if we can make them a bit fresh. You know, people say, oh, yeah, but Mary didn't write much in the Bible, did she? You know, I mean, she's, 
you know, it's not, it's not what Mary says in the Bible that makes her significant. It's what Mary does in the Bible. At every major event in the life of Jesus, Mary was there. But also, don't forget this. We've got the narrative. You know what the narrative gospels are? The narratives are the, are the stories of Jesus. We call the infancy narratives are the, are the stories about when Jesus was an infant. Right? So we see infancy narratives in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. Who wrote them? Well, Matthew and Luke wrote them. How did they know what happened on Christmas Day? They weren't there. They weren't even born. (laughs) Who told us this, right? There's only one person we can point to who supplied all that information to go into the infancy narratives, and that's Mary. She was there to tell the stories. She must have told the apostles these stories. And from that, they recorded it. So you can say indirectly, Mary wrote all the infancy uh, stories in in the New Testament. That's no mean feat in itself. All right. Before we look at Scripture, we've just got to have one little very basic lesson about Scripture. Um, The Catechism teaches us that there is the literal meaning of the text. When you read the Gospel, the literal meaning. You hear people say, ah, those Pentecostals, they take the Gospel literally. That's not what we're talking about here. That's another expression. We're talking about the technical term. When we say literal, we mean what the author wrote, that's the literal, what he wrote. Right? So the, the, all the gospel and all the writers of all the books in the Bible all wrote what they, what they wrote, what they were trying to communicate. But the wonderful part about Scripture is there are deeper meanings under these levels that get revealed later, and then you look back and you go, you know what? And the, the catechism teaches that there are spiritual senses of levels. And these are all the exciting meaty bits of Scripture where you read them, and they're implying deeper things. Okay, St. Augustine put it beautifully. Have I got a picture of... Uh... Yeah, St. Augustine says, The New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. So when God says in Genesis, let us make man in our image, who's us and our? That's plural. The Jews only know God as one. They all scratch their head. The Jews today still have a problem with that text, right? In light of the New Testament, we go, oh, that's Trinitarian theology. There it is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. So that's just one very tiny example. So... We want to go back to our text in Mary. Where does Mary first appear in the Bible? No, not the New Testament. Actually, the Old Testament. And what are we doing? We're using these spiritual senses to unwrap and go deeper into these levels. So this is Genesis 3.15. You want to write it down if you want to look it up. It's a very good one. This is a very important. It's um, the... Early father, church fathers said, this is the first statement of the gospel. Or as I heard one priest say, it's like the genetic code of the whole of the Bible. Right? And what happened was, you know what happened, right? Um, the, the serpent, the devil came and tempted Eve, and Eve failed. Right? And so then God comes, and God says to the serpent, so this is a conversation between God and Satan. 
God says this to the serpent. I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring. That's a bit scary. Satan has offspring? We'll come back to that. And hers. Oh, okay. So the woman has offspring. And that offspring will strike at your head while you, Satan, strike at his heel. So what does that mean? Well, if you get hit in the heel, you go down, but you get up three days later, right? If you get hit in the head, it's the morgue, right? It's, you're gone, right? So here is the battle being laid out. God is prophesying, I will put a war between you and the woman, which we now know as Mary, between your offspring and hers. Her offspring, he will strike at your head. He will kill you. You'll end up in the morgue. While you strike at his heel, he will go to the cross but rise again on the third day. So it's the whole of the genetic code. Mary is there right at the beginning and that war which we are right up to here now. Everything to do with the dignity of women is under attack. Everything. Why? Why? Because it's this war. This is why the family is under attack. Mary is under attack. If Mary wasn't there, the family wouldn't be attacked like this. This is a direct attack on Mary. Know who the enemy is. Know the ways in which he attacks our church. And he attacks you. Abortion, sexual abuse, rape, pornography, all these are attacked on the dignity of women. We are in this battle like never before. That's why we're in this special age. That's why this is not the time to abandon devotion to Mary. We need her now more than ever. Revelations. Now we're going to jump to the end of the Bible. The dragon became angry with the woman, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Ah, does that mean Jesus had brothers and sisters? No, it doesn't mean Jesus had brothers and sisters. Who is the rest of her offspring? It's not rocket science. The next line tells us, those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. If you keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus, you're children of Mary. That's what scripture says. Hands up all those who want to be children of Mary. There it is. Because, and so who is it then that are offspring of the serpent? It's very obvious. It's the opposite. Those who do not keep God's commandments and who do not bear witness to Jesus, they are offspring of Satan. They don't have little horns, but they're in, they're in crisis because of that problem. Okay, so there's the two ends of the book. Let's go on. This is the Annunciation. We've heard it many times, but let's see if we can have a look here. And then he, as the angel Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? 
The angel said to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you." Wow! And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, "Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word." Okay, let's open it up. The angel came and said to her, "Hail, full of grace." The Lord is with you. Does that sound familiar? Someone shouted out. Come on, tell me, is that familiar? Where, where do we know that? The Hail Mary. Thank you, thank you. But hang on, what's different? What's missing? Mary. Mary's name's missing. Now I'm no Greek scholar, but the Greek scholars tell us that if you wanted to translate this, it's Hail. It's it's like the function. I work in audio video, right? You'd be like John coming up to me and saying, "Hello, you who work in audio video. You know, what on earth are you talking about? Like, you know my name. What what's the big deal, right? This is Mary's title, full of grace. The proper English translation would be, "Hail, you who have been and still are full of grace." Right? This is a. a Strange way to greet somebody by their function, and this function happens to be full of full of grace. Is full of grace. Right? There's no half full. It's full, full. Right? This is an amazing and a very strange greeting. And then the next line says, "Mary was greatly troubled," and I don't know how many times I hear people say this, and I just go, "No." He said, "Oh, Mary was afraid because an angel appeared to her. Mary wasn't afraid because an angel appeared to her. Mary was afraid. Well, it's not rocket science. You just read it, right? She considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. She was concerned about the greeting. Why? Because she thought, 'Is this a demonic spirit appearing to me and puffing me up with this praise, trying to, to suck me into something?' Right?" She was cautious, and that's when the angel says, "Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God." Satan doesn't like to use the word God. Mary knows that, so when he replies with that, he knows that Mary can have peace about what's saying that it truly is from God. Holy Spirit, come upon, and then Mary says, "Let it be done to me according to your word." And that's the line we want to imitate. And Mary's greatness is not just because she said this at this moment. Mary's greatness is because she said, "Let it be done to me according to your word." Every second of her life, a constant and complete surrender to the will of God. Every moment of her life, she never once did her own will. She submitted to the will of God. That's what makes her also holy, and she's only capable to do that. Because of the graces God has given her. All right, let's go on. Wedding at Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine had ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." And Jesus said to her, "Woman, how does your concern affect me?" My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, "Do whatever he tells you." 
And then you know the rest of the story. It was all turned into wine. And Jesus did this at the beginning of his signs in Cana, in Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and the disciples began to believe in him. Let's have a look at this. This is interesting. right? First of all, Mary notices they have the wine ran short. Let's read between the lines. They've been drinking a lot, partying a lot, and they've run out. And they're going to face embarrassment. This is going to be Jesus' first miracle. Like, come on, you and I are writing the script. Say, nah, Jesus, you, you've got to raise someone from the dead. You've got to feed the 10,000. You've got to do something that will make an impact. First impression stick. You know, marketing, Lord, marketing. All right? But no, his mother, his mother turns around and says, they've got no wine. They're going to be embarrassed. And he's all... And Jesus says, woman. Now, let's, we've got to talk about this term, woman. People take that as a put-down. Woman. They Ah, look at the way Jesus spoke to his mother. Woman. woman is her royal title. This is the woman of Genesis 3.15 who is going to crush the head of the serpent that we see on this statue here and that we saw in the miraculous medal. If you've got a miraculous medal, you look, Mary has got her foot on the head of the serpent. This is why if you want to fight the enemy, you've got to bring out the big guns. Mary, right? So, woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. Look, I think it's quite fair to say, he could. in other words, he's saying, Mother, we, we've spoken about this many times. We've, I've told you about my mission, what happened, you know, the timing and all of that, and you're asking me now to do this. So, you know, it raises the question... Did Mary talk him into doing something that he didn't want to do? Well, you can't really say that because the will of God prevails in everything. So what's going on here? The way I like to look at it is the married couple did not merit having this miracle performed at their wedding. They didn't have the Son of Man. They weren't worthy for the Son of Man to perform his first miracle to save them from embarrassment. But Mary, she had the merits. Calling on her merit, she says, like my mum used to say to me, give me a wink, do it for your mother, you know. <laughs> you can't say no, right? So, and that's what happens, right? do it for your mother. So it's something beautiful going on here if we really analyse uh, what, what's happening. This line just blows me away. This was the beginning of the signs in Cana in Galilee and so revealed his glory And the disciples began to believe in him. Do you realize that the apostles came to have faith in Jesus through Mary? That's what the scripture says. Amazing. Let's go on. Luke, this is the um, visitation of Mary. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cries out in a loud voice, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Okay, so what happens? Mary goes to visit pregnant Elizabeth, who's carrying John the Baptist. Mary herself is pregnant. And as soon as Mary finds out that she's pregnant, she also finds out about her cousin through the angel. What does she do? She hurries to Elizabeth. 
charity. Hurries to Elizabeth, even though she could have said, hey, I'm going to be the mother of God. Elizabeth can come and visit me, you know, look after me. No, she doesn't. She goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth then gets filled with the Holy Spirit and says, blessed are you among women. We could paraphrase that. Praise be Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. We could paraphrase that. Praise be Jesus. Why is that amazing? The order of things in Scripture is very critical. Whenever we see a list of the apostles, Peter is first, Judas is last. What happens here is that Elizabeth is saying, praise be Mary and praise be Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you can only say praise be Jesus and can't say praise be Mary, according to the Scripture, you're probably not filled with the Holy Spirit, but some other spirit, right? So, but there's another dimension to this about the order. Praised be Mary first and praised be Jesus. That is very strange in Scripture. You would always expect to have Jesus first. So what's going on here? Did Luke get it wrong? No, Luke didn't get it wrong. There's a lesson here for us, teaching us, helping to identify so that it makes us read it. Tw- oh, what's going on here? Mary must be important. Yes, Mary is important. This is the way the Holy Spirit. And how does this happen that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mother of my Lord. This is referring, this is not Lord as in the landlord. This is Lord as in God. The mother of my God should come to me. Blessed are you who believe what was spoken by the Lord would be fulfilled. Okay, so the next few lines down. Blessed are you who believe that what was spoken by the Lord given to you. So it makes it clear we're not talking about landlords or some other Lord. We're talking about Lord in the divinity sense. And Mary's sense says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. All generations will call me blessed. So it's obviously about the Lord. I used to be in a parish and after Mass we'd say the rosary and there was one dear old lady who used to say, Holy Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us sinners now. And we're all saying Mother of God and she's saying Mother of Jesus and I'm saying, what is your problem? You know, But she was hung up on this bit about... Um, Mother of God. And I used to have an uncle who used to say to me, Mary can't be the mother of God. God is the all creation. The, 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 everything comes from God. If God's got a mother, then he's not God. I say, well, okay, we're not trying to change the meaning of the language. When the church came up with this title, Mary, Mother of God, he's not saying that God, the divinity, came from Mary. That's, that's not what we're saying. Or that God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, had a, a mother. Let's look at the words. We're not trying to change the meaning of the words. What does mother mean? Mother is one who gives birth. God is the origin of everything. When we say mother of God, we're pointing to something new. We're pointing to Jesus, who is both God and man. And we said this was fundamentally important because if we don't get it right, we are not saved. And that's why it became a dogma. It's very important. 
If Jesus is not God and man, then we're not saved. So please don't get hung up on Mother of God and start changing the rosary to Mother of Jesus because Jesus will get very offended. All right, I think we're, I've got to watch my time. Mary is our mother. How do we get the idea that Mary is our mother too? Well, the foot of the cross. This is a powerful text. Standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. There were three Marys at the foot of the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, John, St. John, right? He said to his mother, Mother, no. He said, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. So it's interesting. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved and said to his mother, Wouldn't you expect the next word to be mother? Woman. Because this is her royal title. And at the foot of the cross, this is where all the power came from. This is where she collects the blood of Jesus and distributes all the graces that came with that to uh, all, all people. It's very powerful. We want to go into this even more. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying in agony. He's been whipped, beaten, spat upon. There's hardly a place on his sacred body that has not been ripped open or beaten. His head has been pierced with giant thorns. His face spat upon. The creator of the universe has been humiliated and belittled in front of the crowds and the rulers of this world. He's been forced to carry his own cross, which eventually he was too weak to carry alone. Mary walks at a short distance, sees him fall, sees him mocked, sees him whipped by the guards. Can you imagine the pain in Mary's heart? It would have been easier for her to be on that cross than to watch her son. You can imagine, she must have wanted to cry out, Do you realize what you're doing? This is God. Can you realize? But he's allowing this because he loves you and you're just persecuting and whipping him and beating him and killing him. All to obedience to the Father's will. How hard was it for Mary to say yes at the foot of the cross? Stretched out on the cross. You know how crucifixion works? You are stretched out and you are nailed. In Jesus' case, one foot on top of the other. And the shroud tells us that one foot is longer than the other. It tells us two things. One, that Jesus, rigor mortis set in on Jesus on the cross. And two, that they, um, some of the mystics tell us that the holes they made would not reach the foot. So they just put a rope around the ankle and just gave it a giant yank until it reached and they put a nail through. The shroud tells us that the nails didn't go through here. They went through the wrists. Through the wrists. Three hours. And this is how you die because what happens is you've got to breathe. So you push up on your feet in terrible agony to get a breath and then come down again. And you keep doing this. And this is why when they came out and they killed the other soldiers, they broke their knees. They can't push up anymore and they basically suffocate. And Jesus died 
before that, of course. And this is what Mary had to be at the foot of the cross. Can you imagine what a strong woman she was to be able to trust God? We've been talking about trust all week. Trust God that in spite of what's happening in front of her, she was going to be victorious. It's, you know, this is what makes her great. Ask yourself this question. Was there ever any worse time in the early church when Jesus gathered the disciples and told them he's going to build a church and they were going to rule and do all these things? Was there any time in the church that was worse than this moment? All the apostles fled except for John. They thought it was all over. This is the biggest crisis the church had ever been in, that little baby church as it was. And what does Jesus say about the crisis? He says, take my mother. He's not concerned about who's going to help um, Mary chop the firewood. He's not talking about that. This is, John is there for us as the spiritual children of Mary. That's where we became the mother of Mary. Mary didn't, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, she didn't have birth pains. Right? Jesus came out like a light, like the way he came out through the resurrection. He came out of her like a light because she was sinless. She didn't suffer the childbirth pains. Mary is our mother. She paid the price for us at the foot of the cross. What happens in childbirth? What do we get? We get blood and we get water. What happened at the cross? The sword goes into Jesus' heart. Blood and water comes out. Mary's suffering, her child pains, was giving birth to us. We have so much to be grateful for. So we don't want to trivialise those words, take my mother, this is, this is serious, powerful stuff. And we remember, this was prophesied. Simeon said to Mary, a sword will pierce your own heart and as a sign of contradiction. And yes, that's exactly what happened. All right, we've got a few minutes left, so I just want to... This stuff's very real to me. I get very passionate about it, as you can tell, because you know I, I used to take pilgrims on tours through Europe, through the Holy Lands and... Um, Marian Shrines. In 2008, a uh, Harvest Pilgrimage just rang me and said, can you take a group to, to Lourdes? Uh, it was only a few weeks away. It was short notice. But anyway, I went in. And to cut a long story short, there was this woman in a wheelchair. She'd been in a wheelchair nine years. And when they told me that, my first thought was, oh, no. How am I going to get this woman on and off the bus 20 times a day in a wheelchair? Now, how am I going to carry her on and off? You know, can't ask the, anybody else to help me. So, anyway, I, um, this woman came out in the wheelchair. Finally, caught up with her when we were in Lisbon Airport, and um, we got up to the bus. Right, and I thought, here we go. I'm trying to lift her somehow. Anyway, um, I said, can I can I help you? And she said, looked up at me with a beautiful smile. Said, oh, I'll be okay. And she got up, and she's hopping like this. Right. And, and I'm standing next to her. I'm not doing anything. I'm just kind of looking like I'm ready to help, and it was hopeless, right? And, and I'm hearing her go, oh, 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 and I'm thinking, far out. This woman's in a lot of pain, you know? Anyway, she gets on the bus, and she has to sit in the left-hand aisle at the front seat so her right leg can stay out, and it's twisted like this, can stay out in the aisle, right? 
So, and she's got the special padded thing so she can sit on because she's got this massive sciatic nerve problem thing. Anyway, uh, she'd been in the wheelchair nearly nine years. So, um, as it was, I ended up wheeling her around in a wheelchair on all the pilgrimage for nearly three weeks. The second last day, we went to Lourdes. And she said to me, will you, will you wheel me down to the baths? Right, so I wheeled her down to the baths. In Lourdes, they have these baths with water that miraculously appeared out of the ground. Right? It's freezing cold because it's snow-capped mountains around and whatnot. Anyway, um, I said, we got down there. It was a five-hour wait to get into the women's section because they've got the men in the women's section. Five-hour wait. So anyway, she goes, they see her. And the guy just goes, like this, calls her. And she says, no, I just come here. He said, doesn't matter, come in. She went in and she was out in half an hour. Right? She went in and they said to her, oh, you've got, you've got a lot of problems here. Right? Her right leg was twice the size of her left leg. All her, her foot was purple. Her leg was purple. The toes were all kind of mangled and crossed over on one another. Couldn't separate them. Uh, she had a wound in her calf that originally was the size of a five-cent piece that grew to a big wound like this, would not crust over, just kept weeping, weeping, weeping. Anyway, um, the doctor told her, well, I have to warn you, but your leg is being very close to being amputated. Anyway, when, he, when she told the doctor, I'm going to go to Lewis, they said, you're crazy. You know, the aircraft, are you, are you stupid? It's just, I don't advise it at all. And she said, well, what have I got to lose, my leg? You know, you've already just told me that. So anyway, she went. And then because of the pain... She couldn't put any foot weight on this leg, so she's got you know, walking frame and hopping or wheelchair, right? And so she had quite good muscles because of all the weight on her arms, but she also got carpal tunnel syndrome in her wrists. And they said, oh, well, we can't really operate on that because then you'll be out of action. You won't even be able to go to the bathroom. She used to get two hours sleep a night, that's all. And when she ate, she had blood and diarrhoea half an hour later because all the tablets she was taking was messing up her stomach and all of this, so blood and diarrhea every time you eat, two hours sleep a night, in a wheelchair for nine years, watching her little daughter grow up from uh, not being able to be a real mother to her. Her daughter was 11, she was on the trip as well. So it was, uh, it was a pretty bad state. So anyway, they said to her, look, we're just going to pour the water on your leg. And she said, oh, well, you know, I'll come all the way from Melbourne, Australia. So they said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah. She said, I want to go in those baths, right? And they said, all right, we'll get some more um, volunteer help and we'll lower you in the baths. Anyway, they, um, one of the other ladies in the trip said to her, I warn you, she said, that water is freezing cold. And I said to her, yeah. I went in a few years ago and I said, I call it my Titanic experience. Da, 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 da. Right? It was freezing, right? So she said, oh, no. I, she said, my leg starts to spasm up. That's just pain on top of pain. Anyway, so she said to me, I got to the end. She said, you know, I felt a bit of a hypocrite even coming to Lourdes because I didn't have any devotion to Mary. She had a, a mother who was a bit hardline Croatian. God bless her. She's a beautiful woman. But she just kind of made it difficult for her to relate to Mary. Anyway, um, so what happens is um, she says, Mary, please, heat the water. So they put her in, they bring her out. She comes outside, she says to me, the water was warm. I says, get out of here. She says, I'm telling you, the water was warm. Says, really? I said, they don't heat the water. And she says, just coming out of the tap under the ground in the spring and draining out the other end. 
She says, no, the water was warm. So that was the first little mini miracle. And then her daughter, Kimberly, looks at her foot and says, look, Mum, it's not purple anymore. It's gone fleshy colour. And, and she said, this is Juliana, she said, I feel like there's like water or something circulating under my foot. Well, you know, and all that night she kept saying, is, is there something under my foot? Is there some, what's, is there, is there, and they said, no, no. And we look back later and it's actually the circulation starting to happen in the foot, right? The next day she says to me, I want to go to Eucharistic Adoration. Will you take me? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So we got in. I don't know if you've ever been to Lourdes. It's an amazing place. 70,000 people there every night, right, during the summer months. Anyway, you go, you do this big procession with the Blessed Sacrament, and then you go into this, looks like just a big driveway, and you go down and you go, oh, my goodness, it's a huge underground church that holds 70,000 people. Right? And that you don't wouldn't know it's there because there's a park on top and you don't you don't realise what's underneath. So you go underneath, anyway, she we got there, it was packed with people. This guy goes like to me, like this is the warden, you know. And she says to me, Where are you going? I said, He's calling us. She said, I want to stay up the back. I said, I'm telling you, he's calling us. So we went down, got down, and right at the front section is the wheelchair section. Because if you're sick in Lewis, you VIP, right? And, and right in the front row was one empty spot. So he said, put her in there. So I wheeled her in and I went and I sat down. After um, adoration, I came up to her and she's crying. She's quite upset. I said, are you all right? And she said, oh, no. I said, what, what, what happened? She started telling me the story. She said, and the priest came out with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. She said, he held it up in front of me like this. She said, and I looked up. She said, and I saw the face of Jesus in the Eucharist. And I said, is that you, Jesus? She said, as soon as I said that, from my waist down to my feet, I felt like I was electrocuted. She said, the pain was just terrible. She said, grab both sides of the wheelchair, and she's trying to lift it, stop, do something to stop the pain. Said, and I wanted to scream out, but she said, I didn't want to make a scene or embarrass myself. And so she's like this. Anyway, so then the priest comes and raises the monstrance right above me. Even more, the pain increased. By now, she's like, what's going on? Anyway, so she, the priest takes Jesus back to the altar, puts him on the altar, and she says, all of a sudden, section by section of this electricity feeling stops. Anyway, I said, well, how do you feel now? And she says, it's, not, it's gone now. And I said, well, how do you feel? And she said, my leg feels really light. And I'm thinking, far out, something big's just happened, right? Uh, something I, I didn't want to sort of get false hope up. I thought, something, sounds like something big's just happened to me. Anyway, she said, we've just been there doing all this, right, two hours. And she said to me, we have to go down to the grotto where Our Lady appeared to Bernadette and say the rosary right now. Well, okay, I said, <laughs> you know, who am I to argue, right? So I wheel around and we go, we go there. So there's myself and her and her 11-year-old daughter, and her mother was travelling with us too. So all of us sitting there on this little edge next to the river. And we're saying the rosary, right? Anyway, we get to the end of the rosary, and she says to her mum, Mum, take, take my sock off, please. Take the sock off. So she, your mother says, what are you talking about? Because you had to be very careful. Like, if she put her leg in the, in the shower, she said it felt like being hit with a nail gun. I remember she said, if you get a feather and you brush it up against my leg, it feels like you're scraping the skin off with a knife. 
And once in the bus, we were clowning around the priest next to me, and we had this plastic bag that Kate came in. We just screwed it up, and we thrown it around to Kimmy on the other side of the bus aisle like a little ball, right? It went up, just went down, went boom, land on her leg. And she went, ah! And I went, oh, my goodness, a piece of paper, that to you? Like, so she was in a lot of pain. So she said to her mum, take the sock off. So she took the sock off, and her toes were going like that, right? And Kimmy says, oh, mum, you could never do that. She says, I'm not doing anything. She says, they're doing it by itself. Anyway, she, and then, then she starts doing this, see? And the mother says, what are you doing, right? Because <laughs> all her life is like, don't touch, be careful, you know. She's doing this. She says, I've got no pain. So she gets up. She says, I think I can walk. So she puts one arm on me, one arm on my mother, and she starts to walk like this. So this was the real test. Could she wait bare? And she was. But the problem was the leg hadn't been used for so long. The foot was kind of shaking like this, you know. But she said, it's shaking, but I got no pain. Well, three of us, we had all that tears running down our face, right? And I'm sure people must have walked past and thought, oh, the poor buggers, they need healing or something. But, you know, we just had this, like, it was, we've got a video of it because Kimmy started the video, right? And so you can see people just walking past and on the show, you know, and you just you think, oh, my goodness, look what's happening. Anyway... Out of nowhere, some guy comes up and starts taking photos, see? Starts taking photos and didn't think too much of it. We were just, we just couldn't stop thanking God and couldn't stop marvelling at this thing. Anyway, um, so yeah, so she, she was healed. She got home and um, she had to use the walking frame because the leg was still weak, right? But the one big thing she wanted to do was to be able to dance at her brother's wedding that was coming up. This was October. Brother's getting married in December. She wanted so much to be able to dance. So she was able to dance without any walking stick or anything in December. It, was six, it took six weeks of basic, basic physiotherapy just to get the leg a bit of strength. But she had no pain in any of that. She never had pain from that day to this. Carpal tunnel syndrome was healed instantly. All the diarrhea and the, and the thing with the bowel healed instantly. So... This stuff is very real to me. You know, it's very real. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so she got home. She went to the doctor, and she walked into the doctor's surgery, right? And the doctor was just, he had tears running down his eyes. And he said, to, he, apparently he's an atheist, and he said, which doctor did you see? <laughs> and she said, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he said, he was just, He's, today, he still sees her mum and he says, how's that miracle girl of mine? Anyway, so that was 2008. And as strange as it has, in 2011, she became my wife. You know. So, um, weird. If, if you'd have told me in 2008 that this girl I was stressing about being in the wheelchair would be my wife, I'd just say, you, you, you're kidding me, you know. But God works in very strange ways, and um, so you know, it's a it's it's a powerful story. So you know, I really encourage you to now take this in prayer, step out in faith. Say, look, I'm having trouble, Mary. I'm, you know, I've got heard all that stuff, but I, I've got to get it from here to here now. So just pray, pray the Rosary, and just ask. Say, Mary, I'm having trouble. You know my stuff. Yeah, you know, maybe I've had a situation with my mother that's caused some blockage and you know, try and speak to me and help me through this and once you come to love her it's a 
you look at the sisters they met. They pay three hours a day. The other secret is they have devotion to Mary. This is their big gun, right? This is why they can do so much. There are other groups out there that have got ten times the resources and can't do half as much, but it's, it's about the Lord provides and, and gets miracles done and good prayer life, devotion to Mary, love the Eucharist, loyalty to the Holy Father. You can't go wrong. It's, it's simple. All right, so God bless you and um, uh, let's go and enjoy lunch. That was Paul Ellard with The Importance of Mary. This presentation was part of the 2018 Immaculata Mission School held in Hobart, Tasmania on the theme, Being a Disciple of Jesus. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit creadio.org.au.